Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm excited to um, introduce you to Linda Wynn. She's coming on the program. She's a a retired educator. And then God called her to uh, walk this road where she uh, helped her mother get to the end of her life. Um, She was already very equipped because she had incredible love for her parents. And she also has the heart of an intercessor. She has a great sense of humor, and she has a background in health, uh, physical education, and psychology. And she's written a book called The Road to Glory, Walking Mama Home. Linda Wynn is my guest. Linda, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be on with you oh, well, today, Bill. I'm so glad you feel that way. Interested in hearing about uh, your book and what you've learned. And let's start with, it's always good to start with the why. Why did you decide to put this all together in a book? Well, originally, it started as a memoir for my family, but as I got into it and realized, hey, this is a whole new world out here, I am totally unprepared for this, and if I'm totally unprepared, there are a lot of people out there who are also totally unprepared, and it required the the, the blessings of God, the wisdom of God, everything God had to give to me to get me through it. Right. So your dad had passed away, and now it was your mother that was you felt had fallen into the hands of uh, yourself to uh, take care of her and make sure she got everything she needed, and um, that was the the um, the beginning of all of this. Yes, Daddy. I was always a daddy's girl. And whatever Daddy asked me to do, I wanted to please my Daddy. Mm-hmm. And on his on his deathbed, he said, "Linda, you're going to have to take care of your mama now." And I promised him I would. And then God, God willed me into this. This is what He had planned for me all along. So I was ready. Yeah. Well, when people are confronted with this situation of needing to help a parent uh, through that last stage of life, it is uh, very daunting. It can be overwhelming. It can be utterly exhausting. It can be filled with emotional uh, problems with siblings. It could go on and on, can it? Oh, yes. All of the above. You hit the nail on the head. But we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works and God prepared them in advance for us to do. I completely agree. So maybe we can talk about um, how when we are uh, becoming an advocate for someone who needs this kind of elder care help, what are some good first steps um, or what are some things to look out for when you are pursuing a place for mom to live? Well, when pursuing the place for mom to live, you, your family has to make some decisions. Where, do, where does your parent want to live? And you have to take them into consideration. 
And for my mother, she wanted to live in her own home. So we had to do everything we could to accommodate her wishes as long as we could. When the wheels fall off that wagon, you have to go to the next step. And it's a gradually gradual downsizing of a life. And that's the tough part. And that's why you have to lean on God the whole way, because he's the only one who can steer you safely through those stages of elder care. Mm -hmm. Linda, was your mother's condition uh, a cognitive decline or physical decline or both? Well, she she was blind and she lost her vision in her late 60s. And so she was totally blind. And then she had a massive stroke that totally wiped out the left side of her body. So she not only needed physical therapy and then rehab and, you know, just constant care to help her live a normal life, what was going to be normal for her from that point on. And so it and she needed constant supervision. So when and I was 270 miles away and I was the one in charge. So I had oh to. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a lot of five hour trips with the blinkers flashing so that people would know that I'm in a hurry and I need to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing you can do. Yeah. If you're in a hurry, turn on your flashers and everybody will move over and let you go. I did not know that. This is <laughs> this is very useful information, Linda. Well, so, I hadn't even thought about that, but I did. I knew I did that, but I hadn't thought about it in a long time. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, that's one of the things you can do if you're in a hurry. Interesting. And the cops won't stop you either. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I'll have to check with local law enforcement about that. All right. So what is okay. what are some of the, th- the most important things you, you learned from the years you took care of your mom? And how many years did you do this? Ten. Wow. Ten years. Okay. Ten years. Sacred duty, wasn't it? Yes. Well, the the main things that I learned is, well, first of all, God is faithful. You know, he can he can lead you through anything. And he promised, in this world, you will have trouble. And he promised, I will be there to help you through them. He showed me his unconditional love so that I could show my unconditional love to mother. And he, he, he promised that I would have him, Jesus, in this jar of clay, this treasure in this jar, me, of clay, who... You know, so that he can inhabit me and work through me. And he taught me that he is a personal God. He will meet you where you are and lead you where he wants you to go. So it was a period of wonderfully tremendous spiritual growth for me mm. as a human as a human being. But Bill, he also taught me that we live in a fallen world. Well, of course, I knew that, and it's getting worse and worse as we go along. You can look in every element of society now. It's getting really bad, but he's there. He's there to help us through it all. And when you're in elder care, having to lead somebody through elder care, he will show you the bad people and the bad things that they can do. 
from this fallen world that we live in, but this fallen world also has good people, really good people who have bad days. And when they have a bad day, we have to be there as a buffer to help our loved ones through that. We cannot allow our loved ones to be the victim of abuse when they are under our care. Linda, what happens when there starts to become extreme tension among siblings? I don't know if that was the case with you, if you had brothers and sisters that uh, were all trying to share in some of the duties. That was not the case for us because early on I knew that I was going to be the one in charge. And my, uh, I, I made sure that my sister started out with that duty so that they would have an, an idea of what I was facing. And my my younger sisters lasted a week. My older sister lasted two weeks. And then from then on, it was my turn. They, wa- they walked out. Mm. And they know they walked out, and they understand that they walked out. But, you know, God calls one person within the family. I, th- this, is, this is an opinion, but, it's, but I truly believe he calls somebody in the family to be the one in charge, to look over, to, to oversee everything that's going on. And when, when there's an argument among the siblings, you have to understand that you are not responsible for your siblings' behavior, your sibling, anything that they say. You're only responsible for yours. And when you, when you all get into an angry situation, you just need to remember that your, God will hold you responsible for your behavior. He will not hold you responsible for their behavior. That's their problem. And that will get you through any argument with anybody. And, you know, Jesus teaches us that because he turned the other cheek. He did not respond. No matter what they did or said to him or about him, he did not respond. And if you don't respond, you don't agitate the situation. If you respond in your human flesh, you're going to agitate the situation, and it's only going to escalate. You have to – there's a time to be quiet. Be still and know that he is God. (laughs) Yeah, but Linda, it certainly can be a very emotionally charged uh, environment when it comes to family dynamics. And although you had a sister drop out at one week, another one at two weeks – that doesn't mean uh, Linda, who's kind of in charge now, uh, couldn't mm-hmm. feel a little bit of resentment or a little bit of frustration or a little bit of disappointment. Disappointment, yes. Um, frustration, yes, because I knew that, you know, I was in charge from then on. But, Bill, you have to remember, I was called. My daddy asked me to do this. And I'm a daddy's girl. I'm going to do what daddy wants me to do. And my father, my heavenly father, asked me to do this. You can't say no to an earthly father and a heavenly father. (laughs) You have an excellent point there. I mean, you can run, but you cannot hide from your heavenly father. Right. And he will find, he knows where you are, and he will draw you back into what he wants you to do. And you will wind up doing it. So if you just surrender in the first place, it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> and how beautiful it was for your mother to receive such loving care from you. I love my mother. And, yeah. you know, my, my I wanted to make sure that she was safe and comfortable. That was my goal, yeah. for her to be safe and comfortable, because she was such an angry mama when we when I had to move her out of her own home. Yeah, we okay. couldn't, I mean, we had to. It was, you know, that it was the last straw. We had to move her out of her own home. And all I wanted to do was restore her sense of, peace and calm within herself mm-hmm. that was my total goal and and being a goal-oriented person that's all i wanted to do was help her to restore her sense of well-being all right linda let me take a short break linda Wynn is our guest her book that she's written is called the road to glory walking mama home if you're in a, a caregiving situation or an elder care system, you will uh, learn a lot from Linda's journey caring for her mother for 10 years. We'll be right back after a short break. back with Linda Wynn. She's written a book called The Road to Glory, Walking Mama Home. She took care of her mama for 10 years uh, in uh, home care and then moved her into elder care. And I'm looking at some of the lessons she learned, and they come right from Scripture. Defend the defenseless, plead the case of the widow, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. She was a sacrificial caregiver for her mom and did an amazing job. But when I'm thinking of caregiving, uh, Linda, uh, when you start caring for somebody, uh, the caregiving level instantly goes up for two people, the person who needs care and the person that's giving the care. How did you Uh take care of yourself? That's a good question, Bill. I don't know how I took care of myself. I didn't, um, you know... I was overseeing mother's care, but somebody else was always in charge, if that makes any sense. My, you know, when she was at home, we, I had hired caregivers for her there. Okay. And then when she moved into assisted living, she, she refused to live with me or either one of my sisters. So that's why we went through assisted living and nursing home care. But when she was in assisted living, they had her most of the time, but I visited every single day and sometimes more frequently because it was close by. I was at the end of my working years, and so I had the time when I could pop in unannounced, and that's critical that you do that because if you only show up at a set, set time every single day, they get used to your schedule, and they can be lax at other times. So you can pop in at odd hours and make sure that everything is being – that your parent or loved one is being cared for the way you want them to be cared for. And and then if they're not, if you see something amiss when you show up unannounced, 
call everybody's attention to it. Bring in all the health care workers and see what they left, what they you found when you got there, and hold them accountable. And if you don't do that, your parent will not get the best care. Mm-hmm. You know, we're human. We're going to slack off whenever we can. And if they don't think you're keeping a sharp eye out, they're going to take advantage of it. I mean, that's just human nature. Yeah. And and so it's important that you do that. But I, I always had uh, somebody there that was looking out for mother when I wasn't there, and they reported to me. They called me. They, you know, I was on call 24-7, which was not a problem for me. And, you know, I mean, professional people do that all the time. Right. I mean, it's it's no big deal. But when a, when the phone rings, if you can't answer, uh, deal with it on the phone, then you show up and you take care of it. And you have to stand your ground because you're the only one who will. Mm-hmm. You're the, it, 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 it's a must because there's so many things that go on that you can't plan for. You can't you can't expect because you've never been down this road before, and that's one of the reasons I laid it all out. These are all the things that happened to my mama, and and knowing that I was doing the best, absolute best I could to take care of her, and stuff is just going to happen, and you have to sometimes. You, and this this is a crazy example. When my mother was in her own home being cared for by one of a gazillion sitters that we had in there, I left my niece's wedding reception 150 miles away at the urging of God and went home, uh, drove 150 miles to check on my mother. And when I walked in, a drunk female sitter was kissing my mother on the neck and mother oh was trying to swat her away. Oh boy. And uh, oh yeah. So you, there's no way you can plan for that stuff. Mm. But when God, when God urges you to do something, do it. Because there's he always has a reason and it's so important for you to lean on him because he knows what's going on and he can help you help your mother. He interceded for me, and I interceded for my mother. Mm-hmm. Linda, I know we're not necessarily talking about um, elder care system, but it sounds like uh, we have to make sure that we are going to be the advocates for our loved ones and make sure that we are overseeing uh, the medications and whatever services that we are uh, asking the elder care system to do, that we are making sure that's getting done and making sure none, there's not crazy stuff happening like uh, what you're just reporting. It's very, very troubling to hear. It is troubling, but that's what I mean. We live in a fallen world, and it's getting worse every day. Nobody seems to care anymore, and caring is what God calls us to do and for our own family. And you know what, Bill? We're gonna, you and I are going to be in the same situation we need a. We're going to need a caregiver too. Yeah, I hate to even think about that, but <laughs> I do too. But I'm almost there. I got to start assembling my team right now. <laughs> you betcha. Get your network of friends together and right. be good to your friends, Bill. <laughs> no, I'm, I try to be very nice to my friends. Um, 
So what you know? What would you say, Linda? Would be the the main message of of your book, um, the road to glory, walking Mama home. The main message is to lean on God because He's the only one that can steer you through this road, your road, and your loved one's road to glory because it's a road that's littered with perils, but it's sprinkled with pearls of God's wisdom, mercy, and grace. Mm-hmm. And were you able to be with your mama the day she passed? Yes, I was with her for her last breath. Oh, beautiful. Yep, I was. And uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, I was called. Well, no, I, I think I went, I was, I was there. I, I went at, I was there at 10 o'clock and I, and I stayed because I knew that, that the end was probably near. And I was, you know, I just, I just sat with her and talked to her and, you know, hearing is the last thing to go. So if you have anything to say to your loved one, anything you need to get off the chest or or tell, ask them their forgiveness or tell them you forgive them, you know, there are a lot of difficult relationships out there, but it's time to make things right with the people you love. And I did hear that, that even if they are in a state of unconsciousness or in a coma, semi-coma state, they can probably still hear. And it's still a time to speak the truth of God into their life and pray for them and let them know that that you're there with them. Absolutely. And God hears you too. And He can work miracles. He can give them ears to hear no matter what state they're in. And because we are all facing this at some point and everybody has uh, someone that they love that will be in this position. Um, Is it something that is wise to have advanced conversations about? Oh, absolutely. There, yeah, there are a lot of really tough conversations that need to be had. And let me, let me get my notes here. Um, One of the key questions to ask them is where they want to live when they can no longer take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that discussion will naturally lead to finances, what finances are available. And when the finances, well, for us, the money, the money that we had to work on initially was in selling daddy's car and a couple of small CDs that he had. Mm-hmm. But when his, when his money ran out, my sister starting pay, started paying the bills with the understanding that she would be repaid from the sale of Mama's home, mm-hmm. so you got you got to get those finances squared away. Yeah, and and initially, many parents like my mother wanted to stay in their own home, but when they can no longer take care of themselves, a lot of people would rather go to a nursing home than live with and be a burden on their children. Yeah, but well, legally speaking, talk to your parents about making a living will. It's a document that clearly and explicitly states their wishes regarding medical treatments and decisions. Mm -hmm. I so appreciate you coming on the show. We're a little out of time, but thank you so much uh, for having this discussion with us. It's a very important one. Linda Wynn has been my guest. Her book is The Road to Glory, Walking Mama Home. We'll take a... it's available on Amazon. It's right at (laughs) Amazon.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thank you. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. 
Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show. How about everything you have always wanted to know about medical missionaries, but you just didn't know who to ask? I've got guests on my show today, uh, Alan and Maribeth George, who are medical missionaries in Peru. And I am fascinated with that uh, calling. And when God puts that calling on your life, that's what you do. And I've got uh, lots of questions to ask about what it's like to be a medical missionary. Alan and Marybeth, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you so you. much. So glad that you could join me today. I am fascinated by uh, your calling, and I think, Alan, it came for you at a pretty young age, didn't it? Well, uh, not so very young. I actually went to um, my undergrad at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and graduated as a chemist. And when I got out of college, actually, I felt God's call to be a missionary, and I then saw a medical missionary came to our church in Omaha and spoke about all these things that he was doing that sounded fantastic and serving God. And he said, and I was a chemist when I went through undergrad. And I thought, oh, this is what this is what I can do. This is what I can do to serve God. I didn't see how a chemist could serve God on the mission field with a bunch of Earl Meyer flasks and graduated cylinders. <laughs> yeah. I thought of where I could fit in. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, you know, when I said young, I I still think that's pretty young, you know, college kind of thing. And this is when you had this laid on your heart and you said, yes. Uh, Mary Beth, how about you? When did you get interested in wanting to do medical missionaries? When I was in grade three, my best friend was diagnosed with appendicitis and they couldn't figure out what it was for many years. No, not for many years, for many months. Oh, wow. And she a lot of school. And so I had to make new friends. And one of the friends I made was with an MK, a um, missionary kid. And she she was very inspiring to me. And around that time, I also started reading. Uh, and my church had a full library of books about missionaries. And I just really was inspired by the faith that I read about in those books and wanted to have a faith that was similar. And kind of that kind of seeded brought the seeds of me wanting to be a missionary into my life. Fantastic. So if you would kind of paint the picture of what a typical week might look like as a medical uh, doctor in Peru. Well, that kind of varies a lot over the 21 years that I've been in Peru. Uh, At one time, it meant going out each week and doing medical trips uh, to villages where there were no uh, doctors or nurses or anyone uh, medically trained, and then having a, a medical campaign for maybe one or two days, uh, treating patients during the day and in the evening, showing uh, like the Jesus film and other evangelistic um, films, and just kind of having a, a way to get a church started and going with church planters who would then um, return to those villages uh, on a weekly basis to get a church um, started at that time. Um, in the last few years, I, I've changed. I ended up uh, being punished for good behavior and appointed to be the director of the field. <laughs> and, and so that took away some of my time. And and then I got more involved in uh, working with the local church. So about a third of my time is medical. And with COVID, then everything changed again. 
it went um, virtual, even in Peru, we were seeing our patients virtually. And except when we would like give them, we'd get medicines for them and we'd kind of like a hostage exchange, we'd drop it off on a bridge and they'd walk out and get it and run the other direction. And we wouldn't see each other or we, with our oxygen, uh, we could put the oxygen tank out on the sidewalk and they would come and get it and um, that sort of thing. So things really changed a lot with COVID, obviously. But there's no typical day in the life of your work and your calling. I mean, I, I remember a story where you went to uh, give a medical attention to somebody. I think you, you hiked a considerable distance to get there or it took some uh, trekking to get there. And he was a gentleman that I think had prosthetic legs and he they were off and he was surrounded in his own sort of uh, filth and... You helped him with not only his medical needs, but you helped him in a sh- get a shower and you gave him a haircut. And you just did about everything you could for this guy. And when I heard that story, I thought, wow, it's, it's not a typical day in, in, uh, in your life. No, and that's actually one of the things that we love about being a missionary. Every day, something wacky is going to happen. Something strange is going to show up and and you almost get used to it. And you almost have to start taking pictures of it and go, Oh, well, that was really bizarre. And then take it <laughs> and show it to people. And, but yeah, I love it. I love the variety. I love that each day is new and different. Yeah. Now, Ellen, I don't know if I'm retelling that story. Well, maybe you could fill in some of the blanks or, or correct my memory. Cause maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. Well, uh, in this case, yeah, I know exactly whom, whom you're speaking of. Uh, he actually passed away about four years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but actually living, um, in town, in the city where we last were, and I would go over once a week. And yeah, it was hard. It was really sad um, um, to to see him in this condition. He was in a house with no bathroom or running water, and so I actually would bring him water in a bucket and, and also take away um, the results of that water. Uh-huh. Um, and, and like I said, and cut his hair and do different things and help him out. And it was a time, and what he really loved was just to sit and talk. And we could, I could sit and just listen to him as he would regale me with tales, many of them over and over again. Um, But um, that was actually in town, in the city of Arequipa. And he did um, accept Christ during one of those talks. And so that really kind of made it all worth it. Wow. So you are uh, meeting him where he's at. He has no running water, no plumbing. You are uh, taking out his dirty water and waste. You are uh, telling him about Jesus and you're meeting his needs and helping him uh, with some of the most daily, uh, basic daily uh, duties every day. And and it's all for the glory of God. And he comes to faith in Christ as a result. And now he is uh, in glory. What a fabulous story. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love that. So, Mary Beth, I know you've got a story like it. Well, I did help him. I was actually helping Alan as well for some of that. Um, I'm trying to think. I haven't really been involved in the in the medicine as much, only since I married Alan. But I have been going and helping out at the summer camps that they have each year in Vitor it's about two it's a valley about two and a half hours from where we live in the city and I can think of many stories there of where people have come to know Christ or the Lord has led me in certain ways to talk to people 
I remember one day I was very scared to talk to some one of my girls one-on-one. -on -one. I don't know if any of these listeners here ever have that problem that you don't feel very comfortable talking to strangers one-on-one. -on -one. And this is kind of my problem too, even though I'm a missionary. And um, the camp requires us to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation in public, in a public place, not in a private place with every camper and just kind of find out where they're at. And this morning, I, that morning, I felt very strongly that the Lord was saying, talk to this girl, tell her the gospel. She needs to hear it. And I was just too scared. I put it off and I put it off and kept on telling myself that we were too busy and that there wasn't enough time. And in the afternoon, for some reason, some of the coordinations got off and we didn't, we didn't have any afternoon activities. And I guess I didn't have that excuse anymore not to talk to her, but I still kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally, I just bit the bullet. I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> obviously, you are giving me time here to talk to her and you are telling me to talk to her. And so I did. And I had a great conversation with her and I was able to share the gospel with her and she didn't accept Christ. But later that evening, we had a fireside and she accepted Christ at that fireside and um, was just, she was able to reconcile with her brother whom she hadn't spoken to for many years. He was actually at the camp as well. And so it was really cool to see the immediate results of her accepting Christ. Wow, Mary Beth, that's a fantastic story. I, I love that. Um, Alan, so if 21 years you've been doing this, did you have a clinic of some kind or a little office that people come to? Or is it primarily going out and making calls? I mean, do you have a clinic where you've got 20-year-old magazines people read before they meet with you? Well, uh, that's funny you say the magazines. We actually give them away because they're <laughs> really 20-year-old National Geographic. And the, and the kids, they can't read them, but they love the pictures. So we do hand them out. Nice. But they can them. Uh, actually, we see the patients in our living room. Uh, most of them are poor and maybe have seen a doctor and they can't figure out what's going on. So in a way, I get the more interesting cases that have puzzled the local doctors. And we see them in our living room. And uh, I've done minor surgery on our couch and cut off extra toes on a little table in the middle of our living room. and. Um, the cat will come in and play with the kids when we're seeing them. And, um, so it's just right there instead of a bedroom off to the side, it's our pharmacy. And so then we have the equipment there and I have an ultrasound and, um, the equipment to do, you know, easy lab work and things like that right there. But we see them right in, right in our house, right in our living room. Okay. Um, that's a little shocking, but, um, I, so appreciate that when people come to see you in your home, is their spirit one of gratitude? Are they like, oh, finally I get to see a doctor that could help me? Or are they, are they excited? Are they nervous or a little, little bit of both? What is their uh, attitude probably, like? Um, and what I think they really like is every patient gets an hour. Um, and even if it's an earache, I give them an hour because our main reason to be there is to talk to them about spiritual things. And the medicine is kind of a tool to get to that right. point. And, and we don't charge anything. And so they're happy for that. And they're sometimes so appreciative of that. They'll bring me 
I mean, I've been paid in guinea pigs and ducks and uh, all sorts of things. Haven't we all? Corn and potatoes, like yeah. all of us, yeah. Yeah, like all of us, yeah. <laughs> so what happens when uh, people come in and you think, uh-oh, this is, uh, you need some immediate, like, hospitalization sort of thing, and what happens in those cases? Well, we do have um, th- those sorts of cases come in, and we have a project set up so that if a poor person comes in and they need their appendix out and I see them, that we can then send them to uh, a surgeon in town and have them get operated on. Okay. And the project actually pays for it and asks them to try to pay back when they have, as they get money in the future, um, if they can pay back so that the project can then help someone else in the same way. Mm-hmm. We have that kind of a rotating funds uh, sort of project that we have in play to help people like that. Yeah, just fascinating. Alan and Mary Beth George are my guests. They're uh, medical missionaries in Peru. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back. I'm so glad to be talking to Alan and Mary Beth George. They're medical missionaries in Peru. Fascinating stories. Uh, so I would imagine is the the um, is Spanish the primary language there? Yes, it is. And then, uh, a lot of people speak Quechua. And in fact, when we had our mobile clinics in the highland part of Peru, in the, deep in the Andes, then everyone spoke Quechua. And so I would have to learn enough Quechua to be able to talk to them. Um, to ask them all their medical complaints and things like that. But yeah. in the city of Arequipa, where we were living, everyone, most people's first language was Spanish. Okay. And I would imagine uh, your Spanish is great. Hers is great. Mine is, I get by. <laughs> <laughs> and with enough, uh, I, I would imagine there's a multitude of also indigenous languages that show up uh, from time to time. And how do you navigate through those? So mainly there are just two others near where we live. Okay. And so, uh, and like the one I speak a little bit and a kind of rudimentary level, and but they think I'm just awesome because they rarely see a foreigner who can speak <laughs> it at all. Yeah. And the other one is Aymara or Aymara, and uh, I don't, I can't speak any of that. But yeah. when those patients come in, they usually come in with a, a son or a daughter who can translate. Mary Beth, do you speak Amara? No, <laughs> I uh, used to know how to say hello, how are you, and I'm Mara, but I can't remember anymore. Okay, but your your Quechua is great. I was I would assume. <laughs> well, I can say hello, how are you? In- <laughs> All right, <laughs> I love it. So tell me, uh, twenty one years living, uh, Alan, for you in in Peru. What uh, what are some of the great things about living in Peru? Well. Peru has great people, and they are generous um, out of their poverty in a way that is really, a, I think, a good lesson for Americans. I think every American should go there and hang out with them for a while just to learn um, how to be generous. Because I will go to villages where the people just have no resources at all except for their their land and their food, and they're so happy to see the American doctor come visit their village 
that they'll just kill the fatted calf and they're just they will just spoil me with what little they have usually in yummy food yeah <laughs> and is that something that you welcome as well oh yeah okay I like to eat. yeah I like no to eat one yeah of my spiritual gifts. that's one of your spiritual gifts eating yes yeah i love it yeah so when you have other people that come to peru um maybe people from uh the states churches coming over for short-term missions trips uh what is that like uh, and what impact does that have on the community so we we feel that short-term mission trips are more helpful for the people that come on them than they are for the community themselves um, we think that long-term missions is uh, more effective because you get to build deeper relationships with people but uh, we think that they are very very helpful for people to broaden their worldview and to learn about other cultures and to um, realize that they that that you can be a Christian and maybe be from a different culture as well and everyone can follow the same God that's beautiful so um, another question I have just I, I'm a little bit stuck on the fact that you do a lot of work out of your home so if people know where the doctor lives and it's two in the morning, can I come to the doctor's house and bang on his door? I have had that in the more rural areas. We had that happen more. In the big city where we have been living the last 11 years, that rarely happened. And I think partly because the, the community we lived in, uh, there's security guards kind of watching. It's kind of a gated community sort of area. And so people can't just randomly come in. But um, sometimes they'll call and um, say, hey, my brother's having a stroke right now. Can I bring him over right now? And that might be at 2 in the morning. And so we've had things like that happen, and we'll, so we'll see them. But we thankfully don't get too many people knocking on our doors in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Question for both of you. What has God taught you in this time of ministry? I know you guys are looking at each other right now. Okay, who goes first? Mary Beth, you go first. Oh, boy. Uh, I feel like I have learned so many things. I think uh, during this last year, the Lord has taught me that he is with me in any and every circumstance. Uh, I faced my own medical emergency this year and spent many hours lying on my back, unable to do almost anything. And I just really felt that the Lord was there with me and giving me the patience to to um, face my circumstance that I was in and give me joy in the midst of it and he taught me he taught me to have a thankful heart as well as I I think this COVID time has been hard on all of us and I have been really thinking it's really easy to always be focusing on the negative but I think that when we look for where God is moving and what he's doing, then we can see it and it can give us joy. Mary Beth, did it help living in the doctor's house? It was a lifesaver. Yeah. <laughs> living in the doctor's office, that has to be helpful. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Alan? Well, for me, I think one of the best things I've learned in my faith is I've learned uh, to really trust God to get us through whatever and one's faith grows as you just trust him, 
Um, and I've seen so many miracles in the last few years that now I don't have that dread of, oh, what are we going to do? It's more the, well, I wonder how God's going to get us out of this pickle. <laughs> and we'll see. Yeah. And, and he does. And, and that's, that's great. And it, I mean, it's just such a, uh, a relief. I mean, it's really takes the anxiety off when you know he's got my back. Yeah, you also said a fascinating word, and that, that was the word miracles. And I don't know how often we see miracles uh, in the U.S. and in the West, but I would love to hear about a miracle or two that you have uh, been uh, eyewitness to over in Peru. Well, as my wife mentioned just now, um, she had to be, she had some medical problems. So we actually had to get her medically evacuated out of Peru um, during COVID, during the kind of the peak time, the airports were all closed. Uh, I, she, we, we couldn't even get across town. And she's praying, God, I want you to take me to the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, honey, nice, but you're nuts. There's no <laughs> way that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Kind of the God's not that big sort of thing. Um, and yeah, it's silly. I've seen enough miracles. I should know that it's going to happen. And next thing I know, Mayo's calling us, saying we want get an appointment for you. And to get there, there were at least ten different things that could have any one of which had gone the other way would have sabotaged getting her out of the country. And every single one of them just went through. Wow. Uh, and we arrived twenty minutes, or I think forty minutes before. Um, they asked us to be there um, to get her first COVID test um, before they would then start the process. And and there were so that was a string of miracles to get her out of the country and get her there. Mm-hmm. And Alan, when I think of your your office out of your home, and I'm thinking of the medical supplies that you need that need to get re- refreshed and replenished, and the fact that you are seeing people. Uh, spending an hour with them, telling them about the Lord, meeting their medical needs. How do you get? Uh, f- how do you get funded? How do people help? Um, well, a lot of the materials we get are leftovers from when people um, come on short-term medical trips, and they always bring more than they need. And so, if I need gauze, I've got gauze, and I've got syringes and things like that um, in large quantities. Um, as far as support, we are what they call a faith mission. We're with SIM okay. out of Charlotte. And so people donate in those funds that we receive, then we can use to buy funds, or I'm, I'm sorry, we can use to buy the medicines or different things that we need to do to do our ministry. And I'm not, we're not looking for funds. We're right. fully supported. We praise God for that. And so that's that's how it works. And we're just thankful that um, it's a privilege, really, to be able to serve in the way we do. Yeah, Alan, you don't hear that on Christian radio very often. We're not looking for support, and we're fu- we're fully funded. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying that you don't hear that very often. Because that allows us to focus on what we really want to do yeah. and, and not focus on fundraising. Yeah, so tell me about the community of people in uh, the, the medical missionary field in Peru. Do you have how many other colleagues doing what you're doing there? Um, well, I'm the only American that I know of with a Peruvian medical license. Oh, wow. Uh, and that was a miracle right there um, mm-hmm. uh, to get that. When I 
when we arrived in Peru, my, my late wife, Amy, was also a doctor. And when we arrived in Peru, we both were licensed American physicians, board certified in family practice. And uh, we were going to Peru to have this mobile clinic. And when we arrived, uh, the first day we met the director, he said, well, you know, you probably will never get your license approved. Oh, <laughs> wow. Like, Couldn't you have told me that before I moved my family? Uh, <laughs> but we said, well, we'll do what it takes. There's got to be a way to do this. And there were, it looked like it was going to be a bit of an arduous trek to get to that point. And I'm a chess geek and I was at a chess tournament and a a friend of mine said, Hey, I got a doctor friend here. I want you to meet her. Oh, okay. And she said, Oh, what, what, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a physician. Oh, what type family practice? We are starting a family, family practice department at our university. Could you come help us? Uh, sure. Wow. And later he said, well, what can we do for you? Well, I need my license. You know, I need my medical degree revalidated. Oh, we'll do that for you. And so we both got our licenses revalidated, maybe 25 trips to the university to do it, but we got it done without having to spend a whole nother year as an intern or uh, take a whole bunch of different tests and things. Yeah, God worked that out so yeah. that we could do Just a fascinating story, Alan. Mary Beth, thank you so much for doing the show. It's really been great having you on. Oh, our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, to God be the glory with what you're doing. Um, We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.